You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. off the pass and plays the puck to Pilot, who rikes it, and now just dumps it in from center with a dozen seconds to go in the game. Slobiov slides it far side, Dubé bats it back to Slobiov, and Flames know that uh, they've run out of time today. Flames score first for the first time in nine games, but the Devils score for the next five. And their captain, Nico Heischer, tallies twice as New Jersey will leave Calgary with a hard-fought 4-2 win. And with that loss Saturday afternoon at the Scotiabank Saddledome, the Calgary Flames finished off a six-game homestand with a 3-3 record. And they don't have much time to rest. They're back in action this afternoon, this evening, I should say, as they start three on the road against the Colorado Avalanche tonight in Denver. Welcome in to another edition of Sportsnet Today. Coming to live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta. For our friends at Doug Lacey's Basement Systems, cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. They have a simple permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They're all things basement-y. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. Yes, just one day after wrapping up a six-game homestand, the Calgary Flames are back on the road, and it's a tough three-game road trip this week. Tonight against the Colorado Avalanche, Tuesday against the Vegas Golden Knights, and Thursday, a chance for a little revenge against the Minnesota Wild, who the Flames lost to 5-2 last Tuesday at the Scotiabank Saddledome. Well, then you're back for two as you welcome in the Tampa Bay Lightning and your old pal Matthew Kachuk. So the next five games, no easy ones for the Calgary Flames. We'll get into all things related to the game tonight and get you set up for a matchup with the Avalanche coming up in just moments. Also later on in the program, we'll take a look at the opposition, the Colorado Avalanche. Ryan Boulding is going to join us. He writes uh, for NHL.com and covers the Avalanche on a regular basis. Mondays also mean a check-in with our pal Emily Sadler from Sportsnet.ca to go over all the biggest storylines in the NFL, including a potential new number one threat in the NFC after Sunday night football. We'll talk to Emily about all things NFL. But a quick reminder, the fan feedback line is always open to you. Choose a text if you're listening live at 960 960- 960, anything you want to talk about, we'll uh, bring the text line up throughout the afternoon. Outstanding producers on this Monday afternoon are Cam and Taylor. But yes, we start with a Flames game day. It's a 7.30 puck drop from Denver. 6.30 Flames warm up with Pat Steinberg, Derek Wills, and Megan Mickelson on the call tonight. And no time to rest for the Calgary Flames. A 3-3 homestand ends with a 4-2 loss Saturday afternoon against the New Jersey Devils, where 
The Flames finally bucked the trend of bad starts, but were only able to capitalize once. New Jersey continues to push, and they end up with the 4-2 victory. Of course, the big news heading into Saturday was Dustin Wolf getting consecutive starts for the Calgary Flames. We heard from head coach Ryan Huska post-game that the original plan was to go with Dan Vladar, but a flu bug that's been affecting a number of members of the Calgary Flames had Dan feeling a bit down and out, so they decided to go with the healthier of the two options. I, I thought Dustin was just fine in consecutive games and sure looks like an, uh, a ready-to-go NHL option, which I think we all thought he was. But we will see Dan Vladar in net. He was the first goaltender off at morning skate today in Denver. Can't tell you much yet about lines and pairings. We'll hopefully hear from the Flames locker room uh, as soon as media veils finish in Denver. But a tough start to this road trip for the Calgary Flames against the team they have not had a lot of success against. They've lost three consecutive games against the Avalanche and have scored just one goal in each of those contests. You want to go back even further to their last six games versus Colorado and their five losses to the Avalanche. They've been outscored 16-4 to in their one win in those six games. They were 5-3 victors. They've been outscored 10-2 over their last three road meetings. And it's also been three straight losses to the Avalanche for the first time since 2009. Problems on the penalty on the power play, excuse me, continue for the Calgary Flames. Not much to say at this point. Uh, they've struggled at home. They've struggled on the road. One for 21 in the power play over their last seven road games. You think that would be the worst mark in the NHL, but luckily. Two teams have been worse than the Calgary Flames. You go back to November 10th. Now a month ago on the NHL calendar, the Flames won for 21 on the road. That's 4.8%. Somehow the Penguins, who might roll out three or four Hall of Fame players on their number one power play unit, have gone 0 for 18 since November 10th. And the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are just having a terrible season overall. They're 0 for 20. So they're the only two teams keeping the Flames out of the basement when it comes to lowest road power play percentage since the 10th of November. But perhaps somebody that could help the Flames cause Matt Coronado. He was recalled as the Flames were dealing with some of those illnesses. We got to see him. On Saturday against New Jersey, some good, some bad from, I don't, I don't even know if bad's the right word to use for Matt Coronado. I think he was adjusting to getting back to the NHL level. We saw him hit uh, a post in the second period. He has his moments, but for sure uh, a guy that had a ton of success with the Calgary Wranglers. I'm excited to see how long he stays up with the group as they're dealing with some of these illnesses, but I also think there's a guy that a lot of people will point to and say, hey, if you can get him going, perhaps on one of those top power play units, maybe there's a guy that could help bring that out. It's going to put him in a position to succeed. I like the line he was on Saturday. Martin Pospisil was one of those guys dealing with an illness. So Matt Coronado slid right into that right spot with Kadri and Zary. I thought overall as a line, they were very effective as the Zary-Kadri 
pairing has been since they've been put together. But it was a nice spot for him to come in. And as we've talked about with a lot of players, his skill set really just doesn't fit to that of a fourth liner. So if you wanted to bring him up, make sure there was a top six spot available. I thought he looked just fine in his last down. He played just over 13 and a half minutes against the New Jersey Devils on Saturday. Let's head back to Saturday. Let's give you some post-game thoughts from the head coach, Ryan Huska. Lots to touch on following a six-game homestand and uh, finishing it off with a loss to the New Jersey Devils. The coach's thoughts Saturday following his team's loss to the New Jersey Devils. First of all, Ryan, what went into the decision to have uh, Dustin as your starter tonight? Uh, we have a little bit of the flu bug going through. It was supposed to be Vladdy, but Vladdy was not well yesterday. So... See on the go ahead goal, you obviously saw enough that you thought that should come back. What did you? Well, I mean, we talked about before um, our last game. The guys in the room have a lot of different views, and um, really, we didn't feel there was a push on our part for him to go into the goalie. So that's why we challenged. Yeah. I know it's never as simple as, the, as this, and I'm not trying to say it's why you lost, but it did, did it just feel like the bounces weren't fully going your guys' way? Uh, yeah, well, no, it's not why we lost, but tonight was one of those nights where there were a few weird ones, that's for sure. We hit a few crossbars um, tonight. We missed some chances, and at the end of the day, um, those are the opportunities on our part. We have to find a way to put away at key moments of the game early in the second period. Uh, we had a great first period. We need to score early in that second period to... Um, put them on their heels a little bit more. So those are opportunities that we let get away from us tonight. Bowman actually said that's what frustrated him about the game was he felt like you guys could have put it away early and yep. didn't. We had chances for sure to do that, but um, when you let a good team hang around, one or two mistakes like we made on a couple of their goals, um, they end up biting you. What did you think of Coronado's play today? I thought he was. He had some some chances with the puck. He also gave some pucks up tonight. So I thought I thought he was okay tonight. As you had in the first period, you didn't have the same jam. Uh, well, we lost. I, I thought we lost our speed through the middle of the ice, which made us successful in the first period. So that um, I think you can um, put on maybe the decisions that we were making. We gave the puck back to them a little bit too much in the in the second period. First period, we moved the puck really well, and we did a good job of keeping it away from their defensemen. And when they had that the puck, we put them under some pretty good pressure. But we got away from that a little bit in the second period. When, when that part of your game gets away, is there a way during the game to get it back, or is it one of those things that's hard to really get back in the bottle once you lost it? Well, there's two teams. Like they're, They did some things better in the second and third period as well, without a doubt. Um, but you just keep reminding your guys of why they had success in the first period. So that's kind of hockey sometimes. Anything different going to getting the start you wanted tonight rather than the games we've talked about lately? No, it's funny. You know, we prepare them the same way, and, and more often than not, they prepare themselves uh, the proper way, too. Um, tonight, I really liked our energy that we had in the first period, and I thought we um, we put them on, on their heels, which is something that we want to do. We just we have to find a way to do that consistently, but there was nothing really different in regards to how we prepared them. What did you think of Coronado tonight? Uh, I mentioned earlier. Oh, I was gonna with Dustin Wolf's game. Is that a tough one when one goes off, well, two go off feet that go into the net? Or how, what is your sense of Dustin's game? I thought he played well tonight. He made a young mistake on the the one puck handle, the last goal. Um, you know, and unfortunately, whether it hits a foot or a stick on the way to the net, uh, those things happen. But I thought he played well for us tonight. 
for this afternoon. It did, it, did, it did seem like maybe the, the Coleman line was fighting it a little bit. Yep. How do you see there? I agree. You know, I hate the term puck luck because you're earning your breaks in yep. life, but uh, it did seem like there were some pretty bad bounces that went against you tonight. There, there were some funny ones. I would agree with you there, but again, you know, you got to find a way to make good on your opportunities, and and when you have something that goes against you, you want to make sure you're backing your teammate up so uh, it doesn't end up in the back of our net. You guys finish this home stand. Sorry, what does it do to a bench when a player misses an open net? Uh, it happens. It's part of the game. I mean, they they kind of ride the wave of emotion like all of us do. You think it's going in, and then it, it doesn't end up going in. So they're probably thinking like the coaches were, how did it not go in? Um, but it's part of the game, and they're, they've all been around that before. You guys finished the homestand 3-3. Three and three. Yep. Just generally, what what's your perception of, of these last six games? Um, a little bit up and down, I guess, like you, you could see from the record. There you go. That was the coach, Ryan Huska, his post-game thoughts on Saturday afternoon following the Flames' 4-2 loss to the New Jersey Devils. Now set for three on the road. Stops in Denver, Vegas, and Minnesota starting tonight with a 7.30 puck drop right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan with Flames warm-up at 6.30 with Pat Steinberg, Derek Wills, and Megan Mickelson on the call right here on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960. The fan. We'll have more on the Calgary Flames throughout the afternoon, uh, including some of your texts. This one came in uh, during Ryan Huska's media availability there. It says, uh, we were told that Mark Savard would be the man to change the power play and make it great. What happened is quite the opposite. And yeah, the power play is certainly frustrating, and I can understand why a lot of people look at Mark Savard and wonder if that's not the problem. The only thing I would say is, I think you have to look at the pieces as well. Like I don't think this is simply a Mark Savard thing. This team got a lot of power play production last year from Tyler Toffoli. He's gone. They didn't really replace him. I know Yegor Sharangovich has been a lot better lately, and he scored against his former team on Saturday, but he's not really the same power play finisher that we thought uh, or not that we thought that just he's just not the same finisher as Tyler Toffoli is, and they never, they never really replaced it. The power play was an issue last year, still maybe not to this extent, but they lost some power play talent. They haven't been able to replace it yet. I don't know what the answer is. Me and Pat talked about this again on Saturday during the intermissions that it's continuing to be a, a sort of lifeless part of their game, and that's not good enough. I don't know what the answer is, but I, I sure know that Mark Savard and the rest of the, the coaching staff are trying their best to figure it out because I think there's talent there. I don't know we're talking about a, a top 10 power play unit for this team at any point this season, but it's got to be better than it's been, and I can certainly understand why fans are frustrated with, with it right now. Again, we'll hear more from the Calgary Flames uh, or hear more on the Calgary Flames throughout the afternoon as we get you set for a game day. Uh, did, of course, want to dive into the end of the Shohei Otani sweepstakes that happened over the weekend. Cam, you were following the plane. You followed it all the way to Toronto. We stalked it all the way to the private airport. <sighs> and it was a dude from Dragon's Den. <laughs> Robert, Robert, some Herge, Herge Billionaire. 
like I said, it's just some random billionaire. Robert Fizzabek. Like your like your fourth favorite guy on Dragon's Den. <laughs> He's the last one that that's, you would make the deal with. That's the guy. Yeah, you're like everybody else. I don't even know. Jim Treliving. You're making a deal with him for sure. There's the lady from Calgary. Like that's the like the last dragon you want to make a deal with. <laughs> and he's the one that screws us in all of this. Yeah, it's all his fault. He's the reason why Shohei did not sign with Toronto. Now, the best part that's come of all, by the way, $700 million is Ooh. unbelievable. Ooh. $700 million. I can't even contemplate $700 million for a guy that might only be able to DH. Like, that's crazy. It, it, it is absolutely bonkers. It Robert Herjavec. <laughs> that's the guy. Now, the best part, again, the best part about all of this is now the conspiracy theories that have come out Oh, because of this. Now, Robert Herjavec, what's his name on Dragon's Den? The guy that you don't want to do a deal with because he's white bread. Boring. <laughs> okay. He is also a CAA client. The same agency that represents Shohei Otani. Oh. So okay. now there's the thought process that Shohei always wanted to sign with the Dodgers. But they just wanted to up that offer. So they convinced Robert and his family to fly from Anaheim to Toronto and then they would leak to somebody like John Morosi that that's Otani on his way to Toronto. Get the people excited. And get everyone all up in a huff like we were on Friday. Get the Dodgers to up their offer. Bing, bang, boom. $700 million and Otani's a Dodger. Could it have also been like a test for Blue Jays fans? Where he's like, I'll I'll send this random plane just to see how you all react. Because he likes to keep his life very private. And then the entire country was just tracking his every move. If it even if it wasn't him. I don't know that he would go to that extent. That's why I, I like the CAA thing and the Herjavec being a client. I'll, I'll at least I probably shouldn't even believe any of that, but I'll at least kind of dive into it. I don't know that Shohei, like, he was probably just on his couch chilling with his dog. And <laughs> as soon as his agent got the deal that he wanted, he just called him up. I was like, hey, man, I'm going to fax over a, a deal here. If you could sign it, that'd be great. I, don't, like, I mean, it's possible, Taylor, because you're right. He, he did always say throughout this process he respected his privacy and didn't want a lot of this to be public i just don't know that he would go to that extent i think an agent would go to that extent and maybe they did it to sour him on toronto but i don't know that i would think shohei did it i mean do agents get commission off their signings uh yes that's then that's generally how those things work then i believe it i'm all in on that theory (laughs) cj 
points out that that's a billion Canadian dollars. Yeah, that's a lot of Canadian dollars. It's fifty or five point eight million dollars a month. Man, <laughs> what to do with six million dollars a month? It was like the per second is car. ridiculous. It was, <laughs> yeah, get a car that's not it broken was like all the time. Two dollars and twenty two cents a second. Uh, Matt and Cochran are pal texting in. After hearing the Dodgers right to final offer, I feel like Otani chose the Dodgers. They ended up finding another team to get the money he wanted. I don't think there are any other teams realistically in the Otani sweepstakes. John Morosi's reputation paid the price for it. This text says they dangle a carrot in front of the Toronto media and you guys bit hard. Typical. Well, we're not the Toronto media. Well, we're Calgary we're, media. Might be a conglomerate part of the Toronto media. Yeah, I wanted to believe. Excuse us for believing that. I maybe, wanted to have nice things. Maybe we had a chance of landing the great, arguably the greatest baseball player of our generation. We're so sorry. <laughs> we wanted of course to I believe. Bit hard. I don't want to believe that we were never in it. I don't want to believe that we were just a pawn in Shohei's game. This is way too intense. See, it was weird because over the weekend there were things that, okay, maybe the offer from Toronto was closer to $500 million rather than 700 But then I think our pal Ben Nicholson-Smith had an article out today saying the Jays were there financially. Like their offer was comparable to the $700 million. That he got from the Dodgers. I'm I'm just so in awe of that dollar figure. Like that is that is next level money. Sources familiar with the negotiations say the Blue Jays' best offer was in the same financial ballpark as the Dodgers. One source with knowledge of the talks to the Blue Jays were right there, quote, with an offer described as very competitive. Final numbers aren't known, but to be right there with a $700 million offer certainly suggests a bid well above the $600 million from ownership at Rogers Communications, who also own Sportsnet. When reached via text this weekend, both Blue Jays GM Ross Atkins and a spokesperson for CAA declined to comment. $700 million. Hi, yay, 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 yay. And I would have paid it. Oh, yeah. It's not my money. It, uh, yeah, it's kind of, but it's not. <laughs> so I would have paid it. I would I would have thrown in a couple of bucks to the fund. You like know, if I it meant I didn't have Cam on Monday. Whoa. I'd do it. That was a drive-by. Taylor, different story. I, yeah, not going to happen. But if I had to give up Cam to make that happen. That's crazy. If we had to make cuts at Rogers to make it happen, I would have done it. <laughs> I would have, without a question, I would have done it. It wouldn't, it, it wouldn't even be just me. It, it, we would be all gone and it would just be Steinberg in a cardboard box doing flames talk. Why would it be in a box? Because we got no money for rent, no studio, just a little microphone and a phone. Bringing you the best Flames content in the city. You know, Kim, some people think that's what happens now. It's true. 
sitting here in our little box. Well, I would have made a lot of concessions for Shohei to happen. And by the way, it's just, it's the most Toronto thing ever. Like, it's the most Blue Jays thing ever. They could sign every good free agent the rest of this offseason. They could be a remarkably better team overall than had they signed Shohei Otani, and no one will care. Not, it does not matter what they do. There is no runner-up prize here. They could be a better team. They could go further in the playoffs this year than they did last season. And I feel like it still won't matter because when it came down to it, it was exactly what you knew was going to happen. It was exactly why we tried not to get excited about it. And everyone's going to be like, well, I wonder how far they could have gone if they had Shohei Otani. Hmm. That's going to be the question of the season is... How good are they? How good how good could they have been if they had Shohei? That's the uh that's the question we'll continue to ask. Uh but yes, Shohei Otani on Saturday announced via his Instagram a ten year seven hundred million dollar deal with the Dodgers and not the Blue Jays. So Shohei watch is over. We move on and uh focus back in, I guess, on the on a Flames game day. They're playing the Colorado Avalanche. We'll have more on that throughout the afternoon. But when we come back, we'll check in with our Monday regular from sportsnet.ca. Emily Sadler is going to join us. A great Sunday of NFL football and a doubleheader on Monday night to wrap up the week. Emily joins us next to talk about all of that and more. It's Sportsnet Today live here on Sportsnet 960. The Fan. It is a Calgary Flames game day. The Flames and the Colorado Avalanche. From Denver tonight, 7.30 puck drop, 6.30 flames warm-up right here on Sportsnet 960. The fan will continue getting you set for a Flames game day throughout the afternoon. But right now, as we continue this hour from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studios, very happy to chat some NFL with our Monday regular from Sportsnet.ca. Joining us to talk about uh, the Week 14 Sunday slate of games and looking ahead to a Fun doubleheader of Monday Night Football. It's our pal, Emily Sadler. Emily, happy Monday. How are you? Happy Monday, Logan. I'm good. How are you? I'm really good. We had a really fun Sunday of games. There was a ton of storylines. Had a fun Sunday nighter, and we got two games on Monday to focus in on tonight. Yeah, it's this is such a fun time of year because we're really putting together that playoff puzzle, and I think yesterday especially, like, every single game had playoff implications. So, um, it was really fun to kind of see how everything kind of unfolded. Yeah, it's always fun going through the afternoon and you see one team win or here in Calgary we have the morning slate of games and uh, you're trying to pin everything out and then you look at it at the end of the day and kind of see where everything lands. And you mentioned that playoff picture in the AFC. It is 11 teams deep right now, I would say. The Bills mm-hmm. is there at 7-6. and six. Uh, It feels like everybody's at 7-6 and six right now because that's the Steelers, the Colts, the Texans, the Broncos, the Bengals, and now the Bills. Uh, it feels like even though we've only got a couple of weeks left of regular season football, there's an awful lot still to be decided in the AFC. Yeah, absolutely. You touched on it perfectly right there. Like six, seven, and six teams. Um, I think we knew kind of going into the season that this would be a really tight playoff race. 
But, um, yeah, I mean, it's certainly playing that out. And when you look at the picture as a whole, like, really, you've just got the Ravens, who I would say are fairly comfortable. You can never really say that for sure. But, you know, 10 wins there and then Dolphins, nine wins. And then you've got those three, eight and five teams. And then that that traffic jam, really, of seven and six. And um, it'll be really interesting to kind of see how that plays out. And I think one one of the unexpected parts of that is just, who those seven and six teams are, right? On the one hand, you've got a team like the Buffalo Bills, who we have talked kind of nonstop this season about how um, they have under underperformed this season. I think no one expected them to be seven and six, but then you can also say the same for, look at the Colts. They are right now a playoff team at seven and six. And I don't know about you, but I didn't see that one coming. So a lot of surprises within that, and it'll be so much fun to kind of see how it all plays out, um, especially after Sunday's games. Any of those seven and six teams stand out to you as somebody that you think is maybe a little bit more deserving of being in a playoff spot than maybe they are right now? Is there one team that has stood out a bit for you? Hmm, it's a great question. I, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, it's such a, an interesting group, right? Because look at all the backup quarterbacks that are included in that crew. Like, half of the seven and six teams are playing with backups right now. And yeah. so there's a lot of like, what ifs at play. Um, and, and a lot of, yeah, as I touched on, like, you know, I, no one expected the Texans to be knocking on the door, but they are more than deserving of a playoff spot right now. I think I have to like double back and go with the bills right now, only because of those, it, I'm being biased here just because of the preseason expectations, but they've been in so many of those close games that, I have to I have to believe they will make it into the playoffs. But yeah, it's hard to say. Like it's just hard to count out um Josh Allen and um although I should give a shout out to the Broncos as well. I mean they've they've been excellent, right? Down the yep. stretch. So I think in terms of that momentum, no one's got the momentum like the Broncos right now. And you mentioned it, some of the backup quarterbacks and just some of the quarterbacks we're seeing in general in the AFC. Like if you had told me at the beginning of the year we're a couple of weeks out from the Christmas games happening and Joe Flacco's leading the Browns to a playoff <laughs> spot. And, oh, yeah, it's not Anthony Richardson. It's actually Gardner Minshew who's doing mm-hmm. it for the Colts. And it's Jake Browning for the Bengals. I would have said you're absolutely insane. None of that's going to happen. But here we are, and it's for most of these teams, it's not who you thought was going to get them to this point. No, uh, the Joe Flacco one in particular Holy. is like, like – Listen, we've we've known all along Joe Flacco is great in Cleveland. We did not see it coming that he would be great in Cleveland for Cleveland. Like three weeks ago, you know, he's talking about he was sitting on his mom's couch watching football. And now he's out leading the Browns to a really clutch victory. Um, Definitely did not see that coming. And um, yeah, I mean, just some of these storylines, Jake Browning in for the Bengals, he's playing so so well the team has really rallied around him um yeah just you can you can never quite predict what's going to happen down the stretch but even these um even even these kind of turns of event uh turns of events like did not did not see coming at all well and let's talk about that Bengals one because you and me spent a lot of time talking about them at the beginning of the season because there was that worry about Joe Burrow and that calf issue um, he comes back and gets healthy, and all of a sudden they go on this great run. They get themselves back in this playoff picture, and he goes down again. 
if they were sitting at five and five were sitting at the end, this is it for them. Like, there's no chance they're going to be able to maintain that division, the AFC as a whole. And here's Jake Browning out of nowhere. And you, I think you said a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about these sort of situations, you just there's not enough quarterback talent to go around. You just don't know about Jake Browning for the Bengals unless you're the coaching staff in Cincy. You really don't have a feel for these guys. And here he is coming out and giving this team new life. And I really wouldn't be surprised at this point if since he was one of those teams that made it to the playoffs, just how good, just based on how good he's been playing for them. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is one of those cases where, you know, when Joe Burrow is at his best, we just heap the praise on him and rightly so, right? When he's playing well, he's amazing. He's so much fun to watch, but we're seeing right now why this team you know, had just all of the other reasons why they had some Super Bowl expectations. And I'm not saying that, oh, yeah, they're going to go for a Super Bowl run with Jake Browning, but we're seeing the pieces around Browning really rally against him. It almost feels like, you know, in a hockey game when, like, you've, you've got your backup or your third-string um, goaltender and everyone kind of plays just, like, a little more tightly in there. Everyone is a little bit more responsible steps up a little bit more. And so we're seeing the Bengals, you know, get their run game going. I think yesterday's game, we saw their defense play about as well as we've seen them play. And as we know, that's been a weak spot for them. So they're just really stepping up around him. And I think what else is really neat is just to see the chemistry between Zach Taylor and Jake Browning. Like they haven't had to, you know, throw out the playbook to cater it to this new guy. He's really just fit in seamlessly and, no one can really truly replace someone like Joe Burrow, but he's he's sort of that perfect backup quarterback where he's getting the job done. He's playing really, really well. I thought it was such a classy gesture, you know, Joe Burrow handing the, basically handing the keys over to his box for uh, Jake Browning's family to watch the game from. Like, just a really, like, truly a full team effort there, and it's it's always fun to see these kinds of storylines emerge and definitely unexpected I was leading the charge of like okay the Bengals are done now we can count them out and here they are they're still very much in the race uh if unexpected was the word for Jake Browning leading the Bengals what's the word for Joe Flacco leading the Browns then because I started Joe Flacco at fantasy in fantasy football last week uh because I have Kyler Murray on a bye and I I just took a, a random stab at it and it's actually turned out very well uh, the guy, uh, yeah. if he came off the couch, I want that couch because it's a, a pretty good one. Apparently, <laughs> they've won two in a row with Joe Flacco, and he's the starter the rest of the season. Says Kevin Stefanski. Okay, how's this for a word to describe Joe Flacco? Elite. I like that. Can there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but like, you know, you and I have talked week after week about this Browns team and about how, like, listen, all they need is just like us competent quarterback right like just someone who you're going to take care of the ball you're not going to turn it over but then Joe Flacco comes in three touchdown passes 311 passing yards he made history this was the first time a Browns quarterback has thrown three touchdowns of over 30 yards each since 1981 (laughs) like he's he's not just getting the job done like he was excellent and I think also just his his leadership and his poise in the pocket. Obviously this is someone who knows how to win and he knows how to, you know, quarterback a defense first team in the North in um, 
playoff position. And so he's got that experience. And to see after the game, there was a clip that went around of him addressing the team post-game. And the, the, just the way the team, like, really listened to him and, and obviously has so much respect for him. Um, that was that was really, really cool to see. And, and I even liked in the game how, you know, they still found ways to incorporate Dorian Thompson-Robinson, right? He comes in for a clutch run play to pick up a first down. Like, they're, they're being creative at the same time as, as, you know, just really, really uh, rallying around Joe Flacco, unexpected hero. Um, and I feel like, okay, if he is, if he really is able to stay healthy down the stretch, like, yeah, let's go for a little playoff run with Joe Flacco in Cleveland. <laughs> no, no, no Ravens fans see that whole thing right now. You're like, oh, I know we're 10 and three and life's okay if you're a Ravens fan, but you're kind of like, know if I like seeing Joe Flacco in a Browns jersey winning football games. It's got to be quite jarring, right? It has to feel strange, <laughs> at the very least. Uh, she's Emily Sadler, joining us from Sportsnet.ca. He joins us every Monday to chat about the uh, Sunday slate of games in the NFL. Uh, so we talked about the 7-6 and six record kind of being the it record for teams in the AFC. The NFC, the 6-7 and seven record is kind of the popular one right now because – uh, first of all, the entire NFC South, except for the Panthers, uh, sit at that 6-7 and seven record. You've also got the Seahawks and the Rams around the playoff position with that same record. But specifically about the NFC South, I mean, okay, the Bucks pick up a win. I, I guess that's good for them. They continue to be in this. But I don't know who I feel is a favorite out of this mm-hmm. group. And like, I mean, the Saints, okay, you should have beat the Panthers. They've been terrible all year. And a box you get past the Falcons by four points. It was an interesting game, but I don't know who I look at in that group and be like, okay, yeah, they're the distinct favorite or they're, they have a better chance if they make the playoffs than the other two teams. Do you feel any different about them? Okay, so I am leading the charge. I don't know if I'm actually leading the charge. I'm sure there's <laughs> a lot of people calling for this, but I am fully on board with we need – I have. I have a – I have a theory, okay. <laughs> or at least it. an experiment that the NFL needs to implement. If you have a losing record, if you finish the season with a losing record, you forego your, all the benefits that go with winning your division. You do not get to host a playoff game. You essentially just get thrown into the wild card mix because I'm looking at the playoff picture right now. And I see the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in that four spot. And who's right below them at 10 and three is the Eagles. Like that is unacceptable. We cannot have this. We cannot have this in the playoffs. It would be a win-win for everybody because you get better playoff matches. You get actual winning records in the playoffs. And listen, if it still works out, that, you know, say the Buccaneers are finished the season atop the NFC South, if they still end up getting in as a wild card, as now the fourth wild card, so be it. That is fine. But you do not get to host a playoff game with a losing yeah. record. I looked at I looked at last year just to like test this theory. Sure. Um, because the Buccaneers, they won the division. They were eight and nine. The Cowboys, Giants and Seahawks filled those uh, the three wild card spots. If we implemented this rule last year, the Buccaneers would have missed the playoffs and the Lions would have jumped into the fourth wild card spot. And I don't feel like anyone would have missed the Buccaneers. 
right? No, no, it's, uh, it's unfortunate <laughs> to say, but you're right. Yes. I get that if you win your division, I get it. That's sort of an accomplishment. But with a losing record, is it really, do you really deserve to be in the playoffs? <laughs> you know what? It's a theory I've heard before, and it's not one that I mm-hmm. disagree with, to be honest, because you're right. What is, fun. yeah, I mean, why do you get to get the same sort of home advantages of other division winners just because your division stinks? Yeah. Right? Like, it just because like, it, you're right. There's no way. There's no world that anyone thinks the Eagles should have to go on the road instead of the Bucks simply because the Bucks were division winners. Uh, the Nashville Predators are the only team in pro sports that likes throwing up banners for division wins. Uh, in, in the NFL or in most places, no one really cares, right? It's all about the one at the end. And uh, I, I'm just, I kind of really agree with that because I, I would hate to see a team as good as the Eagles because they are in such a good division be forced to go on the road and have a tougher path than the Bucks simply because they didn't have a very good division. Yeah, this way, you know, if you're still good enough to make that wild card cut, you're in. But it truly would reward the actual best teams in the conference. So yeah. I know it will never happen, <laughs> but I'm here to advocate for Emily it. Emily Sadler's anyway. leading the charge for it. We'll, uh, we'll remember you when the day eventually comes. Thank you. <laughs> uh, a couple more to get with you before we uh, head out on this Monday. Um, I don't know how much time you spent watching Vikings Raiders, but it appears that any amount would have been too much. Three mm-hmm. nothing was the final in that game. Uh, I thought six nothing was bad when the Chargers beat the Patriots a week ago. Uh, Three nothing is just like that is awful, awful football. Bad. Yes. So I, my preferred viewing habit is to just put on red zone. And so I really did, I really did not see very much. You wouldn't have seen any of it then. That's perfect. <laughs> so it worked out quite well. But yeah, I mean, looking at this game, it's almost like weirdly hard to differentiate between like, wow, did we just see the greatest defensive showdown <laughs> of all time? Or did we watch an absolute dud of a game? Obviously it's, much more the latter. But I will give flowers to Brian Flores. He's had the Vikings defense, like, really locking down yep. opponents, like, quite literally in this case. Um, it was actually Minnesota's second straight game holding an opponent, uh, holding an opponent to zero touchdowns. They, they lost a couple weeks ago to the Bears, but those were all field goals <laughs> from <laughs> Chicago. So, you know, there's like – if I'm really trying to dig quite deep for silver linings, that is one of them. Um, but yeah, overall, I can't really believe that we had a three nothing outcome. I I'm not the only one. I'm sure I'm not the only one who was like kind of secretly wishing for just like zero zero at the end of regulation. No, absolutely. <laughs> and go into overtime with no score and to end this game with no <laughs> score just to see it happen, right? Exactly. Like we had plenty of other good football going on on Sunday. I was just kind of curious. Like, could we ever have that? Would this ever happen? I feel like this is hopefully the closest we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, it's it's hard to find uh, good good things out of that. But I will say Vikings defense, shout out to them. Shout out to Max Crosby also for the Raiders, who's about the only one doing good things out there. But, um, yeah, it, it's hard to see Minnesota, you know, not kind of falling out of the playoffs after a game like that. You have to put up some offense. 
<laughs> yeah, you're going to have to do better than the one field goal. I do appreciate your glass half full approach to uh, giving the defense props in a 3 nothing game. I really appreciate the uh, the positive outlook on that one. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> uh, it wasn't so positive for the Chiefs after their loss to the Bills. Uh, Patrick Mahomes saying that the offside call affected Travis Kelsey's Hall of Fame career. And uh, we were going on and on. I get it. He's a competitive guy. I felt bad for Josh Allen. That whole handshake thing must have been frustrating. You finally get over on Patrick Mahomes, and you can't wait to give him a good game, and he's just angry about the refs and couldn't be bothered to say anything other than that. Were you as frustrated as Patrick Mahomes was with the officiating in the game between the Bills and the Chiefs, Emily? Yeah, it it was it was kind of jarring to see Mahomes that fired up. And we, we all know he's a fiery competitor, um, but – we rarely see that come out, especially directed at, at officials like that. Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, yes, I understand him being so upset, but I think he really needs to direct that frustration at his group of wide receivers at Kadarius Tony. Like, I listen. I don't. I don't love a a game altering offside call, but when you watch the replay of that whole play and the whole series of events. Like you just can't really ignore that Kadarius Tony, he was way offside. He wasn't like, close like, to being onside. His whole body yeah. was offside. Yeah. And just sort of reviewing like what various people have said and just afterwards with the officiating, you know, it was revealed also like often you'll see a wide receiver like kind of glance over at the side at the line judge just to make sure like, Hey, am I on side? Cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, he didn't do that in this case. So you have to put the onus on him. And there was an explanation uh, following the game from the, from the officiating being like, yeah, I mean, sure. If a player consults us and says, Hey, am I offside? Sure. We'll give him the warning, but you know, that didn't happen. And he was just so far offside that like he was actually even just blocking their view of the ball of yeah. the snap. So in that case, you just have to direct your the the frustration should be directed inwards um, at Kadarius Tony. And also, I have to believe that Tony's track record is not doing him any favors, right? Like yeah. he he kind of set the tone on the season with so many dropped passes, um, and this is just another case of Mahomes wide receivers letting him down. You know, a couple weeks ago, Marcus Valdez-Scantling dropping that, like, perfect pass at the end of the game against the Eagles. Like, they're just – he's being let down by his own teammates. And so, yeah, I don't blame him for being super frustrated, but I don't think that the refs really deserved um, quite the, the grief that they were getting on that one. No, I said this to a friend yesterday when I was watching the game. I said, look, I get – pass interference or some of those calls that mm-hmm. are a bit more subjective and you can be frustrated by that and maybe there's no review process I mean offsides is one of the cut and dry rules that's not the officials that's on your receiver Patrick like you can be upset that you made this cool trick play up and uh, it should have worked and maybe should have changed the game but it has nothing to do with the officials he was offside I don't know what else there was to say about it and for him to be so upset about it as his game-changing call. It was like, well, exactly like mm-hmm. you said, Emily, it was because your receiver never checked in. I don't know, like, you're just expecting the officials to just let it go? I mean, that's not fair to to the Bills or anybody else. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely, I, I just have to believe it was like, you know, just a build up, right? Cause there have been sure, some yeah. questionable calls in the last couple of weeks and obviously some of them favoring the chiefs and, and some maybe not so much against green Bay, maybe some pass interference that wasn't called or, you know, makeup calls and stuff like that. So it's, it's always easy to, um, to turn to the officiating. I, I think he was also arguing that maybe Vaughn Miller had lined up offside on one of the plays before that, but it, it's still, as you just said, like it's such a cut and dry. Um, did you line up offside? Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> did we call it? Yes. The, call, the right call was made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, before we let you go, Emily, doubleheader on Monday night tonight. Uh, Packers, Giants, Titans, Dolphins, they both kick off uh, at 6.15 Calgary time. If I was limiting you to uh, only watch one of these two games. Which one would it be tonight? Okay, so can I like call an audible? And, yes, a hundred percent. You've earned that Dolphins? right. Yeah. <laughs> can we have the Dolphins taking on the Packers and just let the Giants <laughs> take the night off? Because I, I don't, I don't know about either of these matchups. There's a good half to both of the games, just not at the same time. Yeah, exactly. I will say I will watch Titans Dolphins strictly because. I'm on Tyreek Hill watch. I want to see what he can do. And then I will just like peruse the scoreboard of Packers Giants. And at the end of the game, when I see that Matt LaFleur is still undefeated in December, I will say, huh, cool stat. And then I will move on and close week 14. I think think that's the the best way to go about your business tonight. The right answer, right? Uh, Yeah, that's the right answer. Emily, always enjoy these chats. Thanks again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Take care. Yeah, you too. Emily Stadler joining us as she does every Monday here on Sportsnet today to discuss the latest happenings from the Sunday that was in the NFL. Week 14 ends tonight with a doubleheader of action on Monday Night Football. It's the Packers in New York to take on the Giants, and the Titans are in Miami to take on the Dolphins. We'll take a break, come back on the other side. Flames and Avalanche have uh, the kickoff for a three-game road trip for the Calgary Flames. We'll take a look at the opposition, the Colorado Avalanche, to kick off Hour 2. That, as Sportsnet Today rolls on, here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan.